Stay In Podcast, everyone. We're here with Eva Jaloska. She is the Executive Director at the Python Software Foundation. She's been with the Python Software Foundation since 2012, and she'll go more into that. So thanks for joining us, Eva. Yeah, absolutely. I truly appreciate the opportunity to talk about the PSF and our community. Awesome. Can we go around and introduce everyone? Pia, we'll start with you. Hi, everyone. Pia Mancini from Open Collective and the Open Source Collective. Hey, I'm Eric Berry. I run Code Fund, which is a way to generate funding for open source. And hello, everyone. I'm Richard. I run Maintainer Mountaineer and just generally also my own Twitter account, which takes around the same amount of effort. <laughs> and I'm Justin Dorfman. I uh, work with Eric at Code Fund, also co-founded Sustain with Pia, and just been an open source sustainer since around 2012. Eva, why don't you go ahead and give us your background? How did you get started in open source? Sure. So it's a very unusual story. It's not like it was my intention to end up in open source, but in a way, I am very happy I did. So I was actually working for a company that provides services to conferences. So any kind of contracting service that a conference might need. So that's how I got introduced to PyCon because we were hired to help with the registration and housing once it was starting to grow. I eventually left that organization in 2011 and came to work just for PyCon itself um, and eventually got brought on to the PSF and here I am today. <laughs> That's awesome. I was actually introduced to you by uh, Betsy who works in your office. She is, when I was working at Sticker Mule and she, she's just the best to work with. Yeah. I really enjoy working with her and that just brings me to the specialness of the Python community. While I'm not in the Python community, I've been lucky enough to work with Russell, Keith, McGee, and a few other folks. And it was just, it's just so always such a pleasure. Like, how do you keep that culture going? I mean, it's especially with the Python uh, language still growing after 25 years. Yes. Like how, I mean, how do you keep that going? Like what's your secret? Oh, well, there is no secret recipe. What we try to do is is just have a community that is open and accessible to anyone that wants to be a part of it. And I think that definitely helps create that kind of environment because we have, especially now as we continue to concentrate on diversity and having, you know, you know, not just diversity of, of gender, but diversity of, of cultures. Um, and at this point in time, we probably have Python community members all over the world. That's awesome. And which brings me to my next question. What is like, what's the biggest challenges that the PSF is dealing with right now? Because I know there's been a little controversies in the past that were actually handled fairly well. And, you know, I know PyCon is just such a, a special event for the Python community. So I was just wondering, like, challenges, what are they? Well, there are quite a few. I mean, I think all of them stem from growing pains. The PSF, when it started, was just intended to help with the legal aspect of, you know, the open source license and having contributor license agreements and holding the trademark. And it has really grown to what I like to think is, is the backbone of our community. So, you know, the challenges that we have, for example, you, you know, you mentioned PyCon. PyCon is, if it wasn't for PyCon, the PSF would not 
exist to the extent that it exists right now. So PyCon, to give you an example, is, is about 73% of all of our revenue for one year, which if we didn't have that funding, we wouldn't be able to do all the other programs that we're doing and trying to do. Even though it is a tremendous help, it is also somewhat of a risk to have all most of your revenue coming from one source and one source that is also, as we've seen in the past, impacted by, by economics. How big is PyCon and where is it every year? Uh, so it changes every two years. So this year, or sorry, this year it finished up in Cleveland. Um, and then for the next two years, we'll, we'll be in Pittsburgh. So 2020 and 2021 will be at the uh, convention center in Pittsburgh downtown. Uh, it's a beautiful location. PyCon tends to, we try to sell it out around 3,200, but with, you know, sponsor tickets and all that, we always end up around 3,400 people. Is that always in the U.S.? Uh, so we have had it in Montreal, but for IRS filings and things like that, to keep it simple, we at this point in time try to keep it in the U.S. because it, it, it does increase the amount of work that our staff has to do when we do move it to even Montreal. Is there, a, is there like a Pi Europe or a Pi Asia? Um, so there are Python conferences all around the world, and there are even regional cool. conferences within the U.S. that are not run by the, by the PSF. They're run by local communities of volunteers. Um, for example, uh, EuroPython does have its own kind of association that's in charge. Uh, I guess you can call it their own nonprofit that does that. I mean, uh, a lot of countries have their own Python nonprofit. Python Nigeria, that's the most a recent one that I can recall, they created their own nonprofit because they have such a flourishing Python community and, and they run their own PyCon conference every year. Um, so yeah, we're, we're happy to say that those continue to grow. That's really cool. That's awesome. It's interesting because I, I, I come from a different perspective. I come from the JavaScript world where mm -hmm. things are kind of like the Node Foundation is one thing and then there's a lot of distributed Node conferences, but those don't tend to fund the Node Foundation, right? That tends to be funded by large players who then donate a large amount of money or individual contributions. And so having like a single conference fund you is like an interesting model. I didn't know that. Thanks. Pia, you, yeah. you're going to say something? Yeah, no, that I think that it's, it's interesting because a lot of companies that are supporting kind of open source communities, they tend to go to the conference. And I agree with you, Eva. I think it's super risky that 73% of your budget is coming from just the one conference. And it seems like it's really challenging for us to kind of to revert that tide and actually get support for the core for other projects that are as important or more like licenses or you know trademark or even project directed funding or all of these different aspects that make up an open source community that maybe companies feel they have less visibility and so I think that is still a struggle for us um, everyone in the kind of sustainer open source ecosystem to help companies and sponsors move away from the conference as the kind of the easy way to give money um, to open source. And I was, I was just wondering, like, you know, have you been, do you have any concrete efforts that you are, are doing? How was this for you? Like, did you try to, I guess you did, but did you try to funnel more funding to other projects that are not the conference? And how did that go? Sorry, I'm not sure if I understand uh, the question entirely. Can you repeat that? Yeah, no, I was just wondering if you, if PSF, like, is trying to get sponsors to not only give for PyCon, but also to support other projects that your foundation is doing that are equally important, but that companies might not support because they feel they have less visibility or right, things like that. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so our the PSF itself, obviously we have a sponsorship program for PyCon. Um, the PSF has a separate sponsorship program that um, tries to get funding just for general funding for the PSF to do other things. It hasn't grown much. <laughs> Honestly, our donations have increased more than our corporate sponsorships have for the foundation to give you some comparison. We currently are trying to find different ways to approach sponsors as to ways that they're helping. So I'm not sure how familiar, you know, the audience or you all are with the PSF, but for a long time, the PSF has sort of been separated from core development of CPython and, and those volunteers, you know, not in the sense that we didn't communicate, but the PSF really didn't financially support any of that work. And now that the steering council is in place, um, we're definitely trying to find ways that we can get more sponsorship for core development and, you know, to support not necessarily core development itself, but just to also make their lives better, right? One of the things that we're trying to do is, is move bugs and issues from Roundup to GitHub, which, you know, is probably an improvement for, especially for a lot of newcomers that are not maybe experienced in Roundup, but probably are very experienced in GitHub. So that's going to, that's definitely going to be an effort that we try to help fund. And hopefully through that, we can get more sponsorship because it's it's more of a direct thing that people are helping fund. Right. Is there any program right now that we can support or we can, you know, that you're running that you would like to talk about or is like the audience, is there any way that we can direct them to talk about or look at some of the things that you're doing that will help you in this effort? Um, so we don't have anything ready yet for that specifically. Um, right now, it's it's mainly you know helping fund our grants program, which is something that continues to grow every year, and we're super happy that it continues to grow. We don't want it to stop growing. <laughs> we want to give more money to help you know events and development happen more throughout the world. But that's definitely something um, we can link to. We published our first annual impact report this year which I'm super happy about because one of the things that we always hear from community members is we need more transparency into what the PSF is doing. So we're very happy that we're able to publish this with the help of a couple of designers and our finance team. Um, it's just a look into our revenue and, and where our money is going and how it's split between projects. As you can see, uh, when you click on the link for the annual impact report, the majority of the funds are spent on PyCon just because PyCon is such a huge huge effort and an event, but we do the next largest thing that we spend money on is our grants program. And what are you using the grants for? What, what type of projects are you supporting? So uh, a lot of them are community events and workshops and like kid coding camps that happen in the summer. There's obviously a lot of uh, regional conferences that we fund. So we're happy to support those continued conferences and also the ones that are starting There's a few. I mean, obviously, we support like the core dev sprint that happens um, every September or October. So we're happy to help that. And one of the things that recently happened is we received our first grant from the Mozilla Open Source Group to help improve some PyPI functionalities. And that was executed in 2018. So we're very happy that that was a grant that we actually received instead of gave out. (laughs) I, I voted for that, by the way. Very much appreciated. <laughs> You're welcome. Cool. So 
I'm sure a lot of people want to have this question who are listening to this. And when Guido stepped down as BDFL, was that a surprise to everyone or was it a kind of, we knew it was happening? I think it was a combination of both. It was something that we knew was going to happen. We just didn't know that it was going to happen right then and there. (laughs) So I was actually on vacation. It was kind of funny. I was hiking in Vermont when I got the text message that it happened. And I'm like, oh, it's perfect timing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for some core developers, it was just like, yeah, totally. This makes sense. This person has had a lot of responsibilities on, on their shoulder for a very long time. And that needs to change. And how do we change that? And I'm actually very, very impressed and proud on, on how the group went about that. Yeah, like there wasn't an apocalypse, you know, it, like things moved forward. But as you said, eventually it was going to happen either way. Yeah. It was just like, was the timing right? And also, I guess my number one question, follow-up question on this is, how has the Python community evolved since Honestly, I think the steering council approach that was selected has been a huge improvement. I'm, I'm not sure if you know that has really impacted the community as much, but from the standpoint of governance of Python, where will Python end up in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? Um, there's a group of people now that can discuss these things and take them into consideration, which I think is a very sustainable approach versus having one person probably not have enough time to, 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 to even think about it or know where to go. So from that standpoint, I think it's been a, a great effort. Awesome. I would love follow-up questions from the other panelists because I'm probably missing something. <laughs> My question is, I, again, I'm just not totally familiar with the Python world. I've used Python. I saw recently Python 2 is end of life soon or something. It is, yeah. Um, <laughs> But like, that's like my limit of like, oh yeah, for loops are easier in Python than JavaScript. Great. <laughs> so one of the things I'm curious about is Guido stepped down. Uh, he was a BDFL. These are things I just learned. How did you deal with that? How, like, I, I want to know the story. I know it's been summarized elsewhere, but for people who don't know, I mean, I'm curious. So the PSF itself didn't really have a lot of involvement outside of just supporting that it's happening. We we watched the discussions closely as they happened. Um, so uh, discourse was used for a lot of the discussions, which were pretty much all public, which helped, I think. But it just, were there heated discussions? Yes, uh, yes, there were. This is a big topic, right? It's a big topic and it impacted a lot of people, probably more emotionally than anything. And it just went its steps. They went through proposal phases and they voted on all these things as a group. And they really came together as a team to make this happen. Cool. And by they, um, I mean core developers. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So Eva, I was going to ask you before, because so Justin asked about the kind of the challenges that the foundation is facing. And I see on your, on your website that you are conducting a developer survey. So I was just wondering if you have this visibility about the type of challenges that the projects, the Python projects are facing? And if you have any data on that survey or? So that survey, I'm not sure would really tell us any challenges that the developers are having themselves. It just kind of shows us where developers are going with Python, for example, which 
I don't think we needed the survey to tell us, but now we have the data to prove it that, you know, Python is being used in the scientific community. And it's now being used just as much as it was for, for web development, which is what Python really got known for in the beginning. You know, at this point in time, it's kind of half and half between web development and the scientific community, which is huge. But then, you know, how, how does the PSF keep up with that, right? Like, how are we supporting scientific Python as much as we should be? One of the things that we're doing is we have a scientific Python work group that is actually actively looking to give out funding for scientific Python work, whether it's sprints concentrating on diversity or any kind of project work that scientific Python groups might be interested in. And we, they haven't received any proposals, so I'll give them a shout out right now. Is if anyone in the scientific Python community needing funding for any sprints or project work, please contact me. I'm sure my email will be, will be included in the podcast below. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Do you have an idea of what the scientific community actually looks like. I know I've used it as like an independent researcher for doing random math stuff. And I've, you know, I've seen it used in linguistics research for doing machine learning. But when you say a scientific community and then scientific community groups, can you say like, what are those? Yeah, um, I'm going to pull up the survey so I can link to it as well in the discussion. So that's the link to the results of the most recent developer survey results. So the one that we're conducting now will have results in January, February, probably closer to the February timeline. But, you know, we see that for the answers that we received, what do people use Python for? 58% in 2018 were for uh, data analysis. That's fascinating because data analysis for me is different than science. Um, yeah. So for you, science is like machine learning, for me, science is like computational linguistics because that's my background. Mm -hmm. That's where I learned Python initially. So okay. um, I learned how to do all sorts of, you know, transforms and how to do sound editing in Python. I wrote a lot of iterated evolutionary algorithms for doing iterated learning and modeling how language might have evolved. And those were like single scripts, which were a lot of fun, which were so badly written that I saw one the other day and almost started crying. I was laughing so hard at myself in the past. <laughs> And that's really fun. And I know that, for instance, the math libraries in Python are just awesome. Like there's a huge astronomy field where they right. use it. And also chemistry uses a lot of it. I've heard geosciences. Yeah. So but I was curious if there's like groups of people who are interested, right? I know there's like R open Sci, which does a lot of stuff for R and science, but is there like an R open Pi group or something or a Pi open Sci group or... So SciPy is probably the closest to that. Um, cool. And they have their own organization that runs their conferences, which are super popular, and they're also growing around the world. There's a SciPy Latam that happened recently, so they're they're popping up everywhere as well. Um, so that's really great to see. And obviously, there's there's NumFocus, which is is a separate foundation that also yep. helps support a lot of these um, data projects scientific projects. That's really cool. And it's cool that you guys have grants. I mean, one of the reasons I, I bring it up is because I think on this podcast, we tend to focus a lot more on web stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and because that's sort of where we all come from. But science has a whole different problem with sustenance. One of the main issues for scientists is how do I get credit for my work? Like funds mm -hmm. aren't really the question. It's more how does it help my academic career to publish code? 
because it doesn't if it's never put before like a review board appears it doesn't help you get tenure publishing code right and so providing money for those people is one way of helping them out and there are efforts as well to do alternative metrics of science mm-hmm. um, but any support or any discussion of that always fascinates me so that's that's why i was curious yeah, I mean, looking at, at at the results survey, you know, NumPy, Pandas, Matplotlib, SciPy, Scikit-Learn, TensorFlow, those are all the top libraries that are that are being used by at least the folks that have answered the survey. You know, some of these, like, for example, Scikit-Learn, we were able to fund earlier this year for their sprint that happened in France. Um, so we, we do have some connection there, but it could definitely improve. So the grant you're talking about, or the grants that's available, is that... The $6,000 I've seen in the 2019 annual report, which is available for community awards and expenses, or is that something else? Um, if you're looking at the annual report, probably would not be broken down okay. by that specifically. So when you're looking at the annual impact report, it's the 334, I believe, $334,000. Um, yeah, for grant and expenses. That was spent in 2018. Yeah, exactly. So that would be part of that. So that would be grants that, that is you give awesome. out. Yeah. And to That's give you an idea, when I first started with the PSF, it was less than $50,000. So I'm, I'm super happy with how that support has grown. How are those grants normally given out? Is it direct funding? Is it wire transfers? Do you use a Patreon type platform, Women Collective? What's so it's pretty much however the recipient wants to receive it. We have the option of wire transfers, which usually are, is the option and that we use for international funds. We have PayPal, which can also be used. We can write a check for, for those folks that can cash it, um, which usually ends up being in the U.S. Um, yep. But it's pretty much, it happens in a way of a work group. So the PSF, um, when it became an open organization with open membership, we also created work groups. So if anyone in the Python community is really passionate about something, they can start a work group, uh, write a proposal to the PSF, start a work group, and you know we'll be happy to provide a mailing list and funds if that's what's necessary. So for example, we have a grants work group. So the grants work group has a budget that they work with every year, which continues to grow, as you see. Um, and yeah. they review all the grants that come in and we receive probably a little bit more than 300 grants a year. And we review them as a work group and there's a policy and criteria that we follow, which can be found on the python.org website, which I will link to now. And comparing to the criteria and requirements, that's how we fund the requests that we get. But that's Awesome that you get 300 grants. That means it's like an average of $1,000 per grant, it's, which is, I mean, I know it's not delivered that it way. Varies. Yeah, that it varies. Yeah, it varies. <laughs> but like it, per grantee who applies, the odds are it's like $1,000 will go. And I, I know that it varies. It will vary in the future. That's just rough. Yeah. And, and, you know, it does happen that we don't fund a request. Sometimes things are, are not Python focused, which, you know, kind of falls out. We have to draw the line somewhere, right? Otherwise we'd, <laughs> we'd be contemplating every grant request, but yeah, it, it's a really great, it's a really great thing. And then right now it is focused for a lot of community events and workshops and things like that, which is absolutely necessary, especially when you look at the funnel of, of contributors. Um, it's important that we're addressing newcomers and, and things like that. But I also hope that in the future, a lot of that will go towards development. What do you mean by the funnel of contributors? Um, is that something that you, the community is concerned about or something that you've been? No, I'm, well, I mean, as the executive director of the PSF, I guess I'm concerned with everything. 
<laughs> Definitely not something the community is concerned yeah. with. I think we have a great flow of newcomers all the time, but could we do a little bit better with keeping people around? Probably, which I do hope that development portion of it would help, you know, those contributors that have been around for a long time. How do we keep them? Right, right, right. Yeah, community gardening and onboarding, right? Yeah. So can I can I just re-ask the question if you think that there's like challenges particularly of the kind of Python developers that are different to other communities or you know anything that you wanna curious about if the Python open source projects or the communities have any challenges that you think they're facing that maybe less established communities don't face or you know, I don't know, just in general. So Python has been around for a while and it's a mature code base at this point in time. So is it a little bit more difficult for newcomers to contribute if they want to? Probably, but we still need to address that as, as a community. Um, so that's definitely an effort that a lot of even the core developers are putting forward. And I'm happy to see that it's happening. So at, pretty much at the core dev sprint in September that happened in London, they were able to vote on a couple new contributors, core developers, because a lot of the core developers are actually taking the time to mentor people to become new core developers. And it's an amazing process because we need that to continue to grow. We need, you know, the same group of core developers can't stay the same forever. Um, that's not the sustainable approach we're looking for. So we're happy that is being addressed and hopefully continues to be addressed. In, right. How many core developers are there right now? Good question. That is a question we have all the time. <laughs> we actually have a vote coming up for a new steering council because after every new release, there's a new steering council voted on. And those core developers are the ones that can vote on the steering council. So there's less than 100. I, I could tell you that. That's really great information. Also, I was wondering... I'm a Ruby developer. I've been a Ruby developer for over 10 years, and it's always been like Ruby or Python, it seems. That's kind of followed my career throughout the last 10, 12 years. It seems that Python has just exploded, and I believe strongly that that's heavily because of the impact of the Python Software Foundation. Have other languages or other projects that are wanting to capture the same type of growth and adoption and community that Python has, have they reached out to you or are you mentoring any other languages or anything like that? I wouldn't say that. Well, no, I'm not. Def I'm definitely not mentoring anyone, um, but maybe I would in the future. We usually get approached for more single topics and not necessarily the whole, you know, how, how did the PSF grow into what it is today? Walk us through that. But we do get questions about, you know, should we start our own nonprofit versus becoming a project of another nonprofit? How are you addressing diversity? How are you addressing inclusion at PyCon? Um, a lot of the common ones are around childcare, for example, which PyCon was probably one of the first few conferences that was able to provide subsidized childcare for their attendees. Um, and we're, we're super happy that it's continuing and people are taking advantage of it. So we do get a lot of questions about specific things, but not necessarily as, as the whole picture. We totally, for Sustain, we totally stole that idea, the, the free childcare. So thank you for pioneering. Yeah, ours is, we have a subsidized, so we still charge about $50 a day. Um, to help offset some of the costs, but it's 
definitely heavily subsidized by the PSF because I do think the total costs are about $250 per child per day. <laughs> wow. But what's awesome about it is people can come that usually can't come. So it was, it was really, I didn't even realize what a big impact it made until after the conference when I got the emails and I'm like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. We had a, a keynoter last year. They just had a baby not too long ago. So they brought the baby and they actually shipped things to the hotel instead of having to uh, lug it around in their luggage. So they'd be ready with everything, but they definitely took uh, advantage of the childcare and they were super happy that it was there because it, it gave the keynoter time to, to prep, actually get on stage and do all this stuff. So it made them have a more comfortable experience in the end. Cool. Um, so how, how are you thinking about diversity or how are you addressing diversity at PSF on the Python community general more than PSF, I would say? Most recently we've, redone our code of conduct, which I will link to as well. There was a blog that we put out. We feel that having a space online and in person that is welcoming and inclusive to all definitely helps and paves the way to a more diverse community. So that's the most recent step that we took, which was a pretty big undertaking. Um, we have we now have a conduct work group, which is a work group of people that specifically help with any kind of reports that we get. And they were a big help in helping us uh, create a new code of conduct. So is, is PSF the place that people will go to, like members of your community will go to for reporting or elevating some of these issues? Is that part of the role that you take? Yes, uh, exactly. So prior to this new revamped code of conduct, it was just pretty much the board that would take this on. Um, but that really wasn't a sustainable approach considering the board already does as much as it does as a volunteer group. So now we have this code of conduct work group, which has representatives from around the world. And, and we're very happy that they have now a very good set of policies and procedures to follow, which, you know, we're all very transparent about. And, you know, at PyCon, what we try to add on to that is also have a transparency report after the fact. Um, so every year now we write a transparency report, obviously anonymized of, of situations that come up and then how we've dealt with them. So that's a really great aspect of that. It's great having a support group like that. <laughs> and not being in the hands of the board. That's right. Yeah, I mean, code of conduct situations can be a little bit draining. So it's definitely great to have more people that can help. How was the new code of conduct received throughout the community? Was it were people happy mostly? Yeah, I would say we all we received all positive feedback from the community on this change. Yeah, before it was a very broad code of conduct that didn't really have a lot of policies and procedures published, and, and now it's more concrete thing where we specifically state, you know, this applies to these online spaces, right? If you're on a PSF mailing list, this is the code of conduct that you follow, which in the past hasn't really, was a little bit wishy-washy. Does it cost anything to join the, uh, the PSF? So the, our membership has a, a variety of levels. So I'll start from the bottom. So the basic members just, you know, you want to show support 
to PSF by just becoming a member. Our, our numbers show a lot, right? They, they tell you how many people are interested or at least follow Python community. Um, so that's the basic membership. You just sign up on python.org. That is no cost. Um, you just agree to our code of conduct and sign up. And then we have the supporting membership, which is $99 a year. Um, we are looking to have an additional tier of paid membership, but that probably won't happen until next year, but that will probably be $49 a year. Um, so we have $99 a year right now, and that's supporting membership, and people can sign up at psfmember.org. And with that, people obviously are able to join our, our mailing list as well as vote on PSF business. So if we have a board election or if we change our bylaws in a major way, our voting members can vote on those things. And then we have contributing and managing members, which is kind of a self-certification at this point in time. If you contribute five hours or more a week to Python in any way, whether it's organizing conferences, organizing meetups, supporting, maintaining projects, then you can self-certify to be a contributing and managing member. And those also, those categories of membership also get to vote on PSF things. Um, and then we have fellow members, which is the most distinguished level of membership. Those are uh, we have a fellow work group who we have a group of fellows that receives nominations from the community and we review what these folks do in our community. And then every quarter we vote in new fellow members and that's absolutely free. So we only have one paid level, which is a supporting. Awesome. You know, at PyCon 2019, you talked about new updates in the Python governance for those who weren't there or haven't seen the video. Could you briefly uh, recap those changes? Yeah, absolutely. Are you are you referring to the uh, the panel session that happened at PyCon? Yes. So with the new governance, uh, we had the steering council on stage at PyCon 2019, which is which is the first time you know the group was on stage, and we're happy that that was recorded for everyone to see. But we just pretty much chatted what their plans are and how things have changed, and it's kind of what I've mentioned before. You know, they said that. They're happy that, that it's no longer the responsibility of one person because it's just too much. So we um, were able to discuss as a group the diversity aspects of core development, how things have changed for them, and where they see Python going in the next few years, which they're currently working on. And that will be probably at the next PyCon, PyCon 2020. <laughs> you, you left like a little cliffhanger. That's, that's Yeah, smart. exactly. Hey, 73% of your revenue comes from it, so we might as well give them something, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we got to start wrapping things up. So what we started was this thing called OSS Project Spotlight. And in each episode, we share one open source project or library that's provided value or impact to your life. So if you want to start, cool. If not, I can start. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so most recently, we were discussing amongst our board and director of infrastructure, a library. I did paste in the link. So it is um, Thanks, and it's on PyPI.org. And it is a project that finds ways to fund the Python packages that you use. Obviously, that's something that we always talk about is how do we help support maintainers, right? And open source can't always be done for free. So when we can give money and we find ways to do it, it's a great way to support our community. So this is a, a package that you run um, on your requirements.txt file, and it finds ways for you to support developers who are supporting code. That is awesome. That is awesome. 
That is super cool. And I'm just going to go next because my pick uh, was almost the same thing, but for NPM. <laughs> NPM just released. <laughs> so that's so funny because that's how our conversation <laughs> got started was from the NPM release. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so oh, that's great. I'm so happy because I wanted to bring it up. I know that we're talking about Python, but I'm like, I, I really want to see this in many other communities. So I'm gonna, just going to bring it up. So anyway, what I'm talking about is NPM just released a new property called funding that you can add to your um, JSON file. And then when you run a NPM fund or NPM funding command or something like that, it's going to give you the, all your dependencies that are seeking funding and the link to them. It's just a good way of filtering that information and letting developers know um, what projects are asking for funding because they might not all be, but those who are, we should try and give them all the visibility that we can. Absolutely. Eric. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to pick something that has been a project that Open Collective has been working on. I'm really excited about it. One of the biggest problems that I think is making sure that companies can get value back. So when they submit, when they pay money to support open source, oftentimes it's difficult for companies to do so without having some sort of like a return. The more they spend, they need to be able to see a return. So their budgets in marketing, their budgets in, in building their business is really high, but their budgets in charity and charitable donations tends to be the last thing to grow and also the first thing to get kicked. So Open Collective built this uh, project called Build Your Stack, but I think today they released a brand new part of it where you can actually set up a, a monthly subscription to basically pay for your full stack. Your monthly subscription will go to, to fund your whole stack. And on top of that, you get a badge that is tied directly to that ongoing funding so that that badge is dynamic. And then when... so. Us as developers or community members, we go around and we can actually see who is contributing back to the community. I think it's a fantastic initiative and kudos to Pia and the Open Collective team for making that happen. I'm very excited to be one of the first ones to back our stack with, uh, with CodeFund. Go sorry. Pia. Richard, you back? Can you hear me now? Oh, we can hear you now. I was wondering why I wasn't like, I asked questions and then people were just ignoring them and talking over me. Now I know why. Um, <laughs> so... It's okay. It happens. My pick is going to be Pharos's Thanks, uh, which came out like a year ago, six months ago, which is very similar to the other things going on. You can download an NPM package and find out if people in your package or in your program down your stack are taking donations, and then you can pay them yep. in certain ways. Basically the same. I think Pharos is awesome because he seems to be doing these little tiny just like pinpricks at the community, and then everyone's like, oh, Okay, let's just implement that at a wider scale. <laughs> so, I yeah, love this my work. my thanks was actually inspired by Faros's thanks. So we're all connected yeah. in our picks. <laughs> we are. So Faros is F E R O S S slash thanks. It's on GitHub. Awesome. Uh, for me, PythonCheatSheet.org. They are a open source project as well, and it's an MIT licensed project. Full disclosure: they are a code fund publisher but I thought it was appropriate because it's a really good project. It's the topic that we're talking about, Python. And, uh, and I actually talked to the guy. He's a really nice dude. So I just wanted to give him a shout out. What's his name? Uh, Wilfred. I can't pronounce his last name. I'm really bad at pronouncing last names, as you can see. Anyhow, that is all we have today. I really appreciate everyone coming on. Uh, Eva, it was really, it's a pleasure to meet you sort of IRL. 
but you know we've been following each other on twitter forever but we just never met so it's yes really... and betsy has talked about you a lot of times so i'm very happy oh, that we finally got to connect at least virtually i, <laughs> I love betsy is she, she for those who don't know betsy uh the reason pycon is like so one of the reasons pycon is so awesome is that betsy used to work at o'reilly and if anyone's been to a o'reilly conference they are you know, creme de la creme. Anyway, we can talk about this all day. Tell Betsy I say hello. Anyone Will else do. need to uh, address anything? Thank okay. you so much. Great. Yeah. Thanks Thank to you. you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you all.